Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Afternoon, everyone. Afternoon. Hope everyone's well. This week, uh, Lisa Quagliara, I hope I pronounce that correctly, Lisa. Yes, Lisa Q will do. Yeah, nice. How are you? Very well, thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be speaking to you today. So let's start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how it is that uh, we came to be speaking today. Okay, God, how much time do we have? <laughs> so um, <laughs> good afternoon, everyone. My name is Lisa Quagliata, uh, but most people just call me Lisa Q because uh, Quagliata is a bit hard to pronounce. So how I came to be here is um, Ian and I actually met a couple of years ago in a coaching course. And it was at a time where I hadn't been in the financial planning industry very long and started to feel very disillusioned by the financial planning industry and all the changes that we were having. And I also recognised that most of the value that I was giving my clients had nothing to do with financial advice and everything to do with teaching them the, uh, the tools and the skills and the resources on how to manage their own money effectively because by the time they got to me, they'd already made poor financial decisions, they already had overspent, had credit card debt, you know, lifestyle debt and, um, you know, mortgages that they just, they couldn't sustain. So I decided that I wanted to start coaching to um, also bring about the ability for anyone who really needed my services could actually afford them because all that's happened over the last couple of years with the, you know, the banking inquiry and the life insurance inquiries, all it's really done is it's actually priced out a whole generation of potential clients for financial planners that can no longer afford our services. Yeah, well, so yeah, well. there was always a misconception that you needed to have a lot of money to see a financial advisor. And sadly, today, that's pretty much true because of all the new regulations that ASIC has brought forward. But sadly, it's actually the people that don't have a lot of money or people that earn a lot of money but don't know how to manage it that really need our services the most. And that's why I started writing my own financial education programs. And from the very first time I became an advisor, I was delivering those education programs um, in initially to you know bring in new clients for financial planning but over the years since when you and I met Ian I've started to expand more into you know transforming those seminars 
into online workshops, uh, face-to-face workshops and seminars. And it's always been my goal from the time I was 21 to, um, to take a program into schools because we're just not taught at school good money management. We're actually not taught how to manage money. We're not taught how to, what to look for when you want to go and get a, you know, a mobile phone. And kids these days, nobody realizes that has a huge effect on your credit rating when you go to go and get a home loan. So over the last couple of years since we met, I've been really uh, transforming and expanding my business more into that financial education and coaching um, because of my own experience. So everything that I teach is literally based on my own personal experience over the last 10 years. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, excellent. Um, I must apologise to have the Hooper uh, on still. Hopefully that wasn't impacting the audio too much. So that was me ducking away a minute ago. Yeah, so as you just spoke then, I was just thinking of lots of different things because I think money can be something that people don't want to face for a variety of reasons. But ultimately, what like you described, we're not taught so many of these basic skills. People talk about it all the time. When they go through some sort of learning around the mindset of money and all of those elements, people go, why isn't this taught at school? And so I love that actually one that you've identified that as a need and gone and done it, but actually that schools are open to having that happen within within their school community because that's a, a real positive for the future. And I guess the other thing that comes to mind is so much of our like issues around money come down to the same thing that a lot of our issues around different challenges and our own self-worth, right? So as I'm sure you've found on your coaching journey, that the money journey is very much linked to our own self-worth and self-value journey, right? And also our childhood. Our childhood has so much to do with how we see our money. If you grew up in a household with parents that never had money, money was tight, always whinged about, you know, having to pay the bills, uh, my mum's favourite was, sure, I'll just go pick my money tree. And up until I was about eight, I actually used to go down looking for this money tree and I could never find it. Um, you know, so, so we are actually, up until the age of five, we're actually running on a theta brainwave. So everything that we, are, we hear, we see, um, you know, touch and smell, we're absorbing all of that into our subconscious. And so if in those early years in particular you – don't pay attention to how you speak around your children. Be wary that that may have a major impact later on in their life on how they see not just money but relationships. Uh, you know, I always um, I did divorce coaching. I specialised in divorce coaching a couple of years ago when I started my coaching, and I think it was just because at the time I was still, you know, going through my own divorce, which presented a lot of challenges. But, you know, I've always said to my clients, it's better to remove yourself from the situation and have your children grow up in um, two happy households than it is for them to stay in a negative, um, toxic household because what you're doing is you're subconsciously programming those children to have toxic relationships down the track. Um, And, you know, throughout my own divorce, my divorce got very, very messy but throughout it all I always made sure that my children 
always got to go and see their dad. They always got to speak to their dad three times a week. Their dad lives in um, Perth and I'm in Townsville. So, you know, every school holidays they go because if I want them to have healthy relationships, they need to have a relationship with their dad. And my feelings towards their dad in that in that time frame, um, you know, when we're going through that messy divorce, were completely irrelevant. You know, I never slandered, you know, my ex-husband in front of my children. I was always very mindful to remind them that, you know, daddy loves you and daddy can't wait to see you because that positive reinforcement will help them to go on and have healthy relationships when they get older. And, yeah. and money is money is no different. Yeah, yeah. So many of those lessons that we learn as a child uh, are programmed into how that we think and operate. And I think it's also important to remember that it's just a product of what our parents went through as well. And if you think about a few generations back, what they went through in terms of the state of the world, there are all sorts of different impacts that would have had around money, which would have really influenced that going through world wars and, and all sorts yeah. of other issues. But I guess that's prevalent now because people are going through different challenges around money at the moment. So if you have a new client come to you in in your coaching side of your business rather than the financial planning, what what do you take them on? What sort of journey do you take them on to help them navigate the next, say, six to 12 months with some certainty? Okay, so funnily enough, you'd think that I would talk about money, um, but I, from the very first time I became a financial advisor, I always took them on a holistic journey because I recognise that the money issues they're having generally stem from somewhere else. And so in my coaching, I generally like to get a, um, an overview of where they are, um, what their current financial circumstance is, but also what's their life circumstance and what's brought them to where they are. And often it's they've had a trauma event, whether that be, you know, a divorce, the loss of a child, uh, the loss of a parent, um, you know, there's, there's many life events that, you know, impact us. Um, so I always like to go back and get a history. And then I also delve into their childhood because I know that if there's issues from their childhood that they haven't actually cleared, um, that's going to have a major impact on what we do. But the other thing that I also do with my clients is money and life and relationships need structure. So part of what I do, um, I always say that, you know, um, there's a lot of spiritual people out there who like to manifest. Um, and then there's the pragmatic, you know, accountants, financial advisors, um, you know, and, and, and the two rarely ever meet. But in my practice, those two are so tightly enmeshed, it's not funny. Um, I use that whole practical, pragmatic Capricorn financial advisor side of myself and I couple it with the young girl who um, at a very young age lost a, um, a brother and my way of dealing with it was to talk to him in spirit. And I didn't grow up in a, a religious household. I actually grew up in quite an agnostic household. Um, my only exposure to religion really was, you know, going to church with my grandmother um, and going to being forced to go to a Catholic school. Um, and I will say forced because I wanted to go to the public high school because that's where all my friends were going. But no, I had to go to the Catholic school. Um, so, you know, suddenly at the age of 18, I found myself 
um, having to deal with grief and loss and trying to find a way to accept that this has happened for a reason. You know, the, the, the circumstances around my older brother's death were he was hit by an unlicensed driver in an unregistered vehicle. That vehicle shouldn't have even been on the road. But the way I dealt with it was that I believe that everything happens for a reason. We just don't necessarily know what the reason is. So when I, when I start working with clients, um, I feel like it's really important to, to mix the two sides of what I'm great at, which is, you know, manifesting and all the, like I, you know, and I, I openly declare that I am a pragmatic Capricorn with a spiritual side. Um, and like I said, those two sides never normally meet in, in traditional, um, you know, roles. Um, but I find I get better results because what we do is we actually put a structure in place. Uh, we go through budgets. We put a structure in place. I have a great program that we've just released to the schools, Four Pillars uh, for Great you know, Money Management. And that's all about telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And once you set that solid foundation, um, it allows you to then um, release the reins a little bit to then trust on the other side of things where it's very intangible on the other stuff that I work with. And that is about, you know, I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard of The Secret. I remember being exposed to The Secret, you know, when I was you know, a teenager. I didn't understand it, but I remember being exposed to it. So, you know, but I've always believed what you put out is what you get back. Um, but unfortunately, as humans, we also want to control and contain, um, you know, what, what, we're, what we're putting out and what we're receiving. Absolutely. One of my favourite little stories from Abraham Hicks, uh, when, when they're saying, um, we ask the universe for something, the universe says very well, here's a thousand versions of it. And then we say, no, it has to be this way. And the universe says, very well, here you go. Here's that one version. And then we go, but it probably won't happen to me. And the universe says, very well, I'll give it to someone else. And that's often how it works, right? We want to control everything. We want to decide how it needs to be all because of some preconceived notion of how, we, how we've had experiences in the past. Then that's how we think it's going to show up. But actually, the reality is something that you, we wanted to talk about today is that the ability to let go and allow whatever will unfold to unfold is part of yep. that key area for manifesting, right? So I know this has been a big part of your life, so you can start this part of it wherever you like, but what have you learnt about letting go over your life's journey? Oh, <laughs> letting go I think has probably been the biggest and hardest lesson for me. Um, and I look, I look at my divorce, which started in 2010, and really only just finished well, probably about, you know, as recently as a week ago. And it's not that my divorce didn't finish. It's just that what I didn't realise was because I kept fighting injustices. So every time my ex-husband threw something at me, I kept fighting it. And it wasn't until <clears throat> um, last year when I had to go to tribunal. And so a, a lot of our issues have actually been over child support matters. And um, I have the children full time and my ex-husband, he just loves to take me through the child support um, agency route of um, <clears throat> trying to reduce his child support because of the cost of what it costs him to see the kids. So we've been in this really horrible toxic cycle for 10 years. 
And I kept fighting because I believe that if I'm raising these kids, then I am entitled to, you know, financial support. And we brought these kids into this world together and we made a commitment to those kids to raise them. But long story short, in 2013, um, when all of this, when all of the major stuff started, which started in 2012, but in 2013, I had a tribunal decision go against me and effectively the decision wiped out my entire financial stability. So in order to bring about a resolution, because I really wanted to start my own business and I knew that whilst I was caught up in this toxic cycle, I was never going to ever be able to go on and start my own business. So I entered into a binding child support agreement and that gave me freedom. And I went, yay, I've learned my lesson. I've got freedom. But what actually happened, and, and over that, you know, basically for the next four years, we had peace, we didn't fight, we had a lot more flexibility and freedom because nothing was tied to, you know, the usual things within child support, which is, you know, number of nights and, you know, cost of children and that sort of stuff and, and income. But what actually happened was at the end of four years that that agreement uh, was terminated and we found ourselves back on the same cycle that we had been on six years previously. And that ended up last year in, uh, in August, September with the, you wouldn't think that history could repeat itself, but it did. And I ended up with another tribunal that went against me. And this time, I lost my child support for, oh God, I'm, it's going to be, I think it ended up being about nearly 18 months. Um, and as a, and I'm still a full-time single mum, like I still have these children full-time, they only go to their dad in, in school holidays, but there had been a major circumstance change over at their dad, that dad's house, um, which severely impacted, I believe, the decision. So here I am six years after I'd had my financial stability wiped out and I'm just like, what the f Like, seriously, this could not happen again. But what I didn't realise was, and this is the thing you got to watch out with manifesting, I had been manifesting that again because I kept telling the universe, oh, I fully expect to go to tribunal. Every time I got a change of assessment, I knew that my ex-husband would take it to objection. If he didn't like it, he'd take it to tribunal. And I just, in my head fully expected that to happen. But the difference between 2013 and 2019 was in that six years, I had done a lot of personal development work. I had learned how to rebuild my financial stability so that when the decision was handed down, after I got through the initial, you know, expletive um, part of that, I actually sat down and I went, actually, you're okay. I went and checked all my bank accounts. I checked my super, I checked my investments, everything that I'd built over the last six years and went, I've got this. I don't need his money. And knowing that I didn't need his money, I just let it go. Nice. And two, two really, really big things happened when I let it go. Suddenly, my household became a lot more calm. My relationship with my kids actually improved. And my business boomed. Like, honestly, like in the next, like within, I think, three days, I had two new clients. And traditionally, financial advisors don't really write any business sort of coming into December, January. 
And I often take six weeks off over the Christmas period. I take six weeks off because I have three weeks with my kids and then they go to their dads for three weeks. And that's when I have my holiday for the year. Um, I had so much work come in in like November and December. I took like six days off versus six weeks. My diary kept telling me I was having six weeks off, but I kept sitting at my desk and I kept processing that business. So I learned a very big lesson in letting go. But obviously there was another lesson left to learn because no sooner had that decision been handed down that I found myself responding to the child support agency again when he put in another change of assessment. And I'm just like, I was perplexed. I'm like, There's, you, you're not paying me any child support. What, what more can you want? But anyway, long story short, that uh, I didn't respond. I actually told child support, I'm no longer responding to this. I've let it go, my business is booming, life is great. But when there's still a lesson in there and when you haven't actually learned how to fully let go, it's gonna keep coming back. And this is why I always say to my clients, if there is a repeating pattern, we need to identify why it keeps coming back and how do we clear it out. Yep. And long story short, Yep, we end up with an objection. We end up going to tribunal. Well, we're supposed to go to tribunal, but right at the 11th hour, my ex-husband's actually withdrawn. And I didn't know how I felt about that. It was like I was all revved up, ready for another fight, and suddenly he's, like, withdrawn. I'm like, I don't know if I actually want that. <laughs> so I was, re I was so torn. And Ian, you and I, had an, we had a massive session over this. You know, I was meant to be helping you with financial planning and suddenly we're having a two-hour trauma session with me. <laughs> and, you know, I was torn between letting it go, which is what I knew I should be doing, and wanting to actually fight it. And anyway, a another circumstance happened a couple of weeks later, which I went, you know what, I'm done with this. He's never going to leave me alone. I need to fight this. But what I did this time around, I do believe that this was the final piece of letting go. What I did was I responded to that withdrawal and I said, there's only one of three things that can happen. It's accepted, we go to tribunal. It's not accepted, we don't go to tribunal. Or it's accepted and before we go to tribunal, we go into discussions to do another agreement. Because I knew that by this stage, both my ex-husband and I were, were so tired. The kids were tired, we were tired. It, there just needed to be some finality. And I decided that no matter what the outcome was, I was just going to let it go. And it's the first time in 10 years that I actually truly felt it in my heart. I felt that I had finally reached the point where the outcome was irrelevant. And when you can let go of the outcome, that's when the magic happens. Yes. And... And, and, you know, my ex-husband and I, we're now in negotiations for another binding child support agreement until my youngest turns 18. And I actually have full faith that we will actually get it across the line and we'll go back to having peace and harmony. Because at the core, that's what we both want. But on the surface, all we were doing was fighting because both of us wanted to be in the right. So, you know, the thing is, is that I thought I had let this go 12 months ago but there was still a lesson to be learned. And I always say, you know, it's the same with manifesting. Yeah, sure, you may want to manifest a million dollars and think that you're entitled to it. And it may be sitting there waiting to manifest, 
but it's in God's timing. It's not in your timing. So <laughs> even though I want that million dollars by the end of the year, it may not be in, that may not be the timing of the universe. And there may be reasons why I don't get that million dollars until, you know, uh, say another six months down the track. So <laughs> exactly. it's, yeah, yeah, it's, um, and that's why, you know, I always teach my clients, if you actually have that solid, stable foundation, when it doesn't matter if that million dollars doesn't come in when you want it, you actually have a solid, stable base so that when it does come in, you actually know what to do with it. Money loves to be told where to go. But if you actually have no idea where your money's going, if you don't have any kind of structure in place, your money can come in, but it can go out just as quickly as it came in. You can be a great manifester, but if you haven't told your money where you want it to go when it comes in, then it's generally going to fly out as quickly as it's come in. Yeah, structure, yeah, structure in all areas of, all our, areas life. of our life. Oh, it's got an echo oh, going. It's an echo going. It's been turning, but I'll keep going. These were done before the important, I think, and that was talking about detaching from outcome and that goal and having that goal and wanting to put a time frame on it, which we're taught, right? Smart goals have to have an end date. To me, I love what I learned about goal setting. It's not about the goal. It's not even about reaching the goal. It's about having a target that you're working towards and who you will become as a result of working towards it. And if you set yourself a, a goal that you think's achievable, then you'll work hard enough to get close to that. But if you set yourself a goal that you think is actually pushing the boundaries, like pushing them big time, well, you'll work towards that. And if you even only get half as far as you want to get towards that goal, you're still going to be so much further on the, along the path. So it just becomes a flag in the sand that you're working towards, detaching from the outcome of what it means, because it doesn't mean anything anyway. It's all about yeah. the experience. And I know people see that as a cliche, it's all about the journey, but what's happening right now is all that's really important. If we get too caught up in what's going to happen in the future, well, yes, we need to have some structure in place, but if we get too caught up in worrying about it and when allowing our creative brain to create all these stories about what could and should happen, then we miss out on the magic of, and the what's happening right now. So you went through a whole lot of these experiences. How have you been able to learn to, to stay focused in the moment, given that a lot of the work you do for people and with people is helping them plan for the future? Yeah, this is an interesting one. My mum used to always say that uh, when I was a kid, I had my life planned out 20 years in advance. Um, <laughs> and and I have. I've always been a goal setter. Um, and and I think we, we do. We need goals. We need to know that where we are right now, especially when we're going through hard times, is not where we're always going to be. So... I'm a big believer in goal setting, but I'm also a big believer in um, learn. And this has been a huge lesson for me: is to let go of the outcome. Um, and and sometimes, while I may want this goal, um, I find that fate throws in an event, and suddenly you're over here achieving this goal. I mean, I never thought in a million years that I'd become a financial divorce coach. Um, <laughs> 
you know, like my divorce was bad enough. I couldn't imagine me coaching other people, but, you know, I just suddenly had all these people ringing me saying, oh, hi, Lisa, Michelle's given me your name. I'm going through a messy divorce and my ex-husband's refusing to pay the school fees and she said you might be able to help. And I found myself unofficially coaching all these women because I must have talked so much about my divorce that I became like an unofficial expert. And I think when we're setting our goals, it's really important because if you don't have anything to work towards, you get complacent. And when you get complacent, you lose motivation. And, you know, when it comes to working with my clients, often by the time they get to me, they've already made some poor financial decisions that have got them in some debt. Uh, and, you know, one of the biggest things that's going to face our young people today is the availability of credit has skyrocketed. You know, 10, 20 years ago when I was, you know, in my 20s, um, you know, I went and bought new furniture with a partner on, you know, GE Finance or, you know, Gem Visa. Now, you know, women are putting Botox on Afterpay and ZipPay. And, you know, they're luxury items that I think if you can't afford to pay for them, you should not be, you should be not getting them. And, and you know, I, I know women in their early 20s using Afterpay and ZipPay for Botox. I hate to tell it to you, ladies, you're in your 20s, you do not need Botox. Like when you get to my age, that's when you can start thinking about it. But the problem is, is by the time these people get to me, they usually have a string of debts behind them. So what we do there is I use a really well-known strategy called uh, dominoing your debts. And what we do there is we actually use a strategy that gives you small wins in the beginning to get the motivation to really tackle those big high debts. So that by the time you go through this process and you've eliminated all your debt, you have freed up usually about a good 40 or 50% of your income. And all that's left is your mortgage. And, and it's the same for life. It's like, you know, you need to have goals and you need to set achievable, realistic goals, but then have your high in the pie sky goals that, you know, never in a million years would anyone around you think you could achieve them. But if you believe that you could achieve it yourself, start out with the small ones, set that high unachievable goal knowing that, hey, if I get the momentum, once you get momentum, it's amazing what you can do. When I started my business in 2015, when I went out on my own, I, um, I had only just had my child support reinstated. I was earning $22,000 a year. I had my children full time. And I just went, well, I only have to replace $22,000 a year. Why not? So I jumped off that cliff. I started my business and little did I know that in my first year, my expenses were going to be $60,000. <laughs> it's really expensive to be a financial advisor. But the reason why I knew I could jump off that cliff, apart from the fact that I believed in myself and I knew that if I, if, if I had no choice but to be successful, the only, two, the only thing that could have happened was I let myself and my children down and that was never going to happen. But I also backed myself because I put a lot of money into my home loan. Like I literally, when I made the decision I was going to go out on my own, I set myself some goals and one of those goals was to put a certain amount of money into my home loan 
so that I could draw upon for living expenses. So what I worked out was I had to set a goal of, of putting away at least $22,000 because that was going to replace my income. And over the years, I have, I've had to borrow against myself to put into the business and then when the business has got money, I bought a lender, you know, I, I put it back into my personal accounts. And many business owners out there, especially small business owners, um, this is probably what they've had to do over the years. But if I hadn't had that belief in myself and if I hadn't, you know, set that goal, I would probably still be working for someone for, you know, hopefully at least fifty or $60,000 a year, instead of enjoying the flexibility and freedom that comes with running my own business. So yeah, goals are really important, but also, you know, I set myself a goal when I started my business that in five years' time, I would have a practice where there is a, you know, I've got a financial, there's a financial advisor, there's an accountant, a mortgage broker, a solicitor, like a family law specialist, um, you know, a, um, a an energetic healing worker. Like I, I decided that within five years, I wanted to build this network of all these common um, synergistic modalities that could work together. Yes. And that's exactly, but, but what I did was then I just let that go. And I just started networking and met new people. And now I have that network. And I have that network not only in Townsville, but I have it in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne as well. I love that. I'll come back to that because that's an area I'm very passionate about as well, networking. You said there about important to have those goals, but also just as important to have those small wins. And I think that's something that would be good to highlight now because I know a lot of people are stuck in this space of just moving to the next thing. And they're always like, I'll be happy when this happens. I'll be happy when this happens. And they just continue to move on. You get so much momentum from taking the time to pause and actually acknowledging the win that you've had. So it's whether it's the end of every day, end of every week, end of every hour, we need to do that regularly because what happens from a, from a uh, mental perspective is that our brain likes that feeling. And so you pause and you have that and it's like, I want to find more of that. And so, oh, okay, how can we make sure that happens? And that's what creates that momentum because playing out in the subconscious is this need to have a good feeling place. So we can create those ourselves. And it's so important. I love that you help them get those little wins because I'm sure you see with your clients when they start getting those little wins around their money and then maybe they've got a bit more money in their bank account that they had at the end of last month they're like, oh, wow, that feels good. And then there's that real desire. They're not really sure why, but suddenly they've got this forward momentum, whether it's talking about money, whether it's talking about their work, their, their relationship with their family or other people in their world. The more we can pause, celebrate, and actually have a moment there to, to recognize how far we've come, then there's so much value in what that allows us to feel, but also the moment, forward momentum that creates. So I love that you shared that. Where to now? So you've experienced a lot, a lot of loss in your life. How have you learned to deal with that? I know you, you mentioned before that some of the work we did uh, a few weeks ago. How have you learned to deal with that and process that in a way that you know it doesn't stop you being sad about someone leaving you, but it allows you to to honour their life and honor their memory, but also as you described early from quite a young age, still having that energetic connection to them. Yeah. 
God, hope I don't cry. Um, so I guess one of the one of the biggest things that I was very, very fortunate to come across when I was, uh, I think it was about 19, I came across a poem called Reason, Season, Lifetime. And this poem actually talks about how people come into our life for either a reason, a season or a lifetime. And depending on what it is, um, is how you should actually treat you know, each experience. And I learned very, very early on that sometimes people just come into your life to for a specific reason and it may be just to help you through something and then almost as suddenly as they come in, they're gone, you know, with, without warning, you may not have done anything or said anything, they just disappear. And that, that has happened so many times over my life. But the trick is to not get upset that that person has just disappeared out of your life. Um, and a classic example of that is, um, you know, my flatmate uh, whose wedding I actually met my ex-husband at. Uh, you know, we lived together. I flew down to Sydney for her wedding. I met my ex-husband. We used to catch up all the time. She helped me get a job. And then just suddenly she disappeared out of my life. She wouldn't respond to my text messages, my Facebook messages. I could see that she was still on Facebook. But she just, like, refused to respond. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe her purpose in my life was just that I could meet Adam and get married and have my children. So I just accepted that and I just let it go. And then when they come in for a season, it's often to, you know, bring you joy. Um, and, and it's usually amazing, but it'll only be for a season. So it may be a couple of weeks, it may be a couple of months, but you just need to accept that when, when that person disappears again, it wasn't meant to be long-term. And then the lifetime lessons, when people come into your life for a lifetime, it's not necessarily like you think, initially I used to think, oh yeah, you know, when you get married, it's a lifetime, you know, I'm gonna be with this person forever. And I look at my ex-husband and I know, that was actually, reason, season, lifetime was actually our poem at our wedding. Because I truly believed that I was going to be with Adam. Like when he proposed, he actually said, you know, remember that 65 year contract we was talking about? Because he used to always say that when we get married, it's a minimum 65 year contract. And I'm thinking, shit, I don't want to be I don't know about you, but I want to be dead at 95. Like, I don't want to live to 95. And, you know, he checked out after seven years. But the thing is, is that he has taught me some of the biggest lifetime lessons that I now have actually grown from. So my ex-husband is now, as a result, he is a lifetime connection and a lifetime lesson. It doesn't mean that we have to be in each other's lives. But the lessons that he has taught me and what I've taught myself through our journey is what actually enables me to, um, to teach on to other people. And I was listening this morning to a, um, to a YouTube video and I was talking about the wounded warrior and how some people come into this life to become wounded warriors. And it was all based on um, the moon cycles when you were born. And I looked at the, the moon cycle that I was born in and I was born in this wounded warrior cycle. And it talks about how wounded warriors come in and they need, they need to experience a lot of trauma and, and grief um, and learn how to work through it in order to be able to actually teach that on and help other people through that. Um, and it just made such a, a lot of sense because 27 years ago when my older brother was killed, 
Um, that, I believe, is what started me on my spiritual journey. But at the time, it was more a uh, means to an end. I needed this in order to be able to, um, to, to get by. Um, this year, when... Um, and I, I've, I've been very low-key on social media the last couple of months because in April, sadly, my younger brother passed away. But I dealt with my younger brother's uh, death very differently from my older brother's death. Um, you know, when, when my older brother was killed, I was able to just take time off. I was an employee and I, my boss said, you take as much time off as you want. This time round, I was full-time single mum. I'm, you know, I've gone from middle child to only child. I had to look after my parents. I had to make sure my nephew was okay. I had to make sure my kids were okay. I was running two businesses. I had clients relying on me. So I recognised that I needed to take time out, but I also recognised that other people were relying on me. I was in a different stage of life this time round. And my beliefs have also increased, like my spiritual beliefs have also increased. So it was interesting in how I dealt with the trauma. And one of the biggest things that I have learned over the last couple of years is when you can actually get your subconscious mind to understand and reprogram itself, it actually makes things in the living so much easier. So one of the very first things I did after Andrew passed away, was actually downloaded a self-hypnosis. Uh, it's a guided self-hypnosis on dealing with uh, grief and loss. So I think one of the biggest keys to dealing with, with grief and loss and challenges is learning what you need as a person in order to work through that. I knew from past experience, if I actually started to reprogram my subconscious mind immediately, it would help me in, in the present but I also recognised that I actually needed to take some time out. So I, I took two weeks out and thought I was ready to come back to work. But I worked out very quickly that I was not in the right headspace to be coming back to work. So I honoured my, my feelings and I honoured myself and I actually took another week out of my business and rang all my clients, explained everything. And I think the biggest part is you need to honour yourself and recognise what do you need. And if you don't know how to do that, then seek out the help of someone who can help you identify that. And that's where the value of coaches in particular come from. Um, the value of coaches I feel is very intangible, even money coaches, like even though I can sh physically show people on a financial point of view how they can save money and how they can get out of debt, a lot of what I bring to the table, and Ian, I know in your business, a lot of what we bring to the table is intangible. It's actually in the shift of the mindset. It's, and it's when those you just start seeing the world differently. And when you can start seeing the world differently, um, it allows you to just trust that everything is happening as it should. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, intangible in some ways. Well, that's why I think it's important to them to be able to look back on the journey and see where you were and where you are now. And, and something that I say a lot in my coaching is, when people are going through difficult times, I say, you actually are ready to deal with this challenge now. Could you imagine of dealing with this same challenge six months ago, two years ago, five years ago? And that usually boggles their mind, but it also is a way of helping us look forward as well. Because it's when you look at it that way, you say, well, you don't know what you'll have to face in the future 
but you also don't know what else you're able to achieve in the future because when you go on a growth journey and the more you overcome, so you talked about going through the trauma of loss and grief and all of those elements. And yes, we would like those people back in our world. There is also, as you also pointed out, a lesson there where we learn to be stronger. We learn to overcome whatever that challenge is, whatever pain that we're carrying. And there's just so much power in that, right? Absolutely. And it's, I always find, um, you know, you asked earlier, you know, how have I dealt with it? I've just always held the belief that everything I'm going through is because I'm going to teach this on and help someone else. Yes. Because no matter what, I've just always, I've always believed I'm a learner teacher. No matter what I learn, whether it be related to my professional, my life or something completely obscure, you can be guaranteed I will run into someone within usually two weeks, I will run into someone who needs that piece of information that I've just learned. And I can then refer them on to where they need to go. And I do, I've, it, it, it's, I, I just always believe that no matter how tough times have gotten, no matter how hard the challenges have been or how deep the trauma has been, there's, I, I always believe there's lessons here. And so the only way past an emotion is through it, but you've got to allow yourself and honour yourself the time to actually process that emotion that you're going through because I'm no good to the world. Like I know when, when my brother Andrew passed away recently, I knew that I was, you know, everyone was out there getting online, you know, everyone was at home online and that would have been the perfect time for me to take my online courses and go out and promote them. But I knew that I was no good to anyone, especially to potential, you know, clients when I was grieving myself, when I was not at my best. And I knew that in order for me to get back to being where I needed to be, I had to take that time out and honour myself. And I think a lot of people don't take that time because we feel guilty. And, you know, Ian, you and I had a really great chat about this yesterday about how we don't want to let people down, especially when you're in a when you're in a position, or you just naturally feel like you're in in service to others. You know, you get joy and happiness from helping others. Um, you often feel guilty for taking time out for yourself. But what I've learned, I've gone through chronic fatigue twice in fifteen years, and what I learned, the biggest lesson I learned from that chronic fatigue um, stages were when when I am feeling low or flat or unmotivated, I take time out. And this week I lost two whole days because I felt like I needed that time out. And rather than feeling guilty about it and rather than having it play over and over and over in my mind, all the work that I had sitting there waiting for me, I knew that if I actually took that downtime, I'd actually be twice as productive towards the end of the week when I was back in my element. Oh, so we actually need, we need to let go of guilt. We carry yeah. so much guilt and guilt and shame are the two biggest emotions that will impede our ability to actually live the life that we want, live the life we deserve and, you know, um, bring joy and happiness into our world. Absolutely. And they are both very much linked to loss because it's part of the grieving process and, and not allowing ourselves to go through that. 
Um, you'll be happy to know this morning when I was feeling uh, flat and I needed to do something, that I just took a bit of time just to chill. And then I got a task done that I needed to get done, which usually would have taken me all morning. I got it done in about half an hour. So there, there's so much value in that. If you follow the, the inspired action and, and actually go with the moment when the inspiration hits you, you can produce amazing results. Yep. Ten, 10 minutes of flow is worth a whole year of, of efforting in the wrong direction, right? So it's really about finding that flow. It's what you described before about you, you need to feel the emotions and actually go towards them. Right now, I think there's a whole lot of people who have seen that we need to change how we're living, right? We've had that, as you described, the three months, a lot of self-reflection time. And, and I feel there's a lot of people sort of standing at the precipice of going down whatever rabbit hole they need to go down to start changing how they live. I think one of the things is that they, there is this fear around what they might face when they go down that hole. I'd love for you to describe how but by being able to actually acknowledge and feel the pain, it actually allows a release that's not painful, but actually euphoric. So how have you been able to do that in a way that facing it hasn't been the big scary moment that you thought it was going to be, but actually something far more positive. Yeah. Um, wow. Like vulnerability has actually always been one of my, I'm going to say weaknesses, showing vulnerability to the outside world. Um, I get told that I look like I got my shit together all the time. And I actually remember I had a psychic reading a couple of years ago and this, this psychic reader actually said to me, she goes, oh, my God, Lisa, like, I can't believe what I'm reading in your, your cards here. She said, because it's saying that, you know, you have a fear of vulnerability, but she said, I've known you for years and I would never have thought that you have that fear. And, and you know, she said, because to me, she said, I, you know, I see you as this person who's got your shit together all the time. So I used to really hide um, hide my emotions um, and I would, you know, I, I always said, you know, the shower is my, my favourite place in the house because it's where when things got really, really tough, I could go to the shower, I could cry, I could scream, wail like a banshee and then the water just washes away my tears. And for many, many years, that's actually how I dealt. Like throughout my, my whole divorce, because my, my boys were little, I wanted to shield them from what I was going through. So that was sort of my, my go-to place was the shower. And it still is today. It's where I go to have a really, really good big cry because it's almost like then the water washes it away. You take that deep breath and you step out and you go, I've got this. Um, but, you know, when Andrew passed away in April, um, I suddenly realised that there was a lack of um, support from, you know, some of my closest friends because they didn't think that I needed it. They thought that I had my shit together. And it was also a little bit of a combination of, um, it was a combination of COVID, like we were in severe lockdown. Like this, this happened literally about a week um, after we went into like total lockdown. So people, you know, were being told they weren't allowed to leave their homes. Um, I had a lot of messages through Facebook and Instagram, um, a lot of text messages. But all I wanted and all I craved was someone to show up, give me a hug, 
which apparently we're not allowed to do in COVID, and hand me a hot meal. And I got really, really upset that my friends weren't doing that. And I'm like, don't they know I need this support? Like, surely, like, they know that this is what I need. If they know me, they know that this is what I need. And what I recognised was the two things that I craved the most were actually directly related to my love languages. My love language is a touch and acts of service. So for me, all I wanted was someone to show up with a hot meal because I freaking hate cooking at the best of times, let alone when I've got no food in the house and I don't want to go to the shops in case I cry. Um, And it wasn't until a client of mine said to me, she said, oh, really? She said, God, when my husband passed away, she said, people kept showing up with all this food. And I remember thinking, what do I want this food for? Do you think I can eat? I can't eat. And it was then that I recognised when we started talking about what she needed in her moment of need and what I needed in my moment of need, I recognised that I needed to communicate it to my friends. But, again, because I'm always the giver, I didn't know how to communicate to my friends that I wanted them to cook me a meal. I didn't want to put them out. And it wasn't until a girlfriend said to me over the phone, she's like, oh, you know, Lisa, I I know you find it hard to ask for help, but if you need anything, you just let me know. And I just lost it. I completely lost it. I started crying. I'm like, well, if you know that it's hard for me to ask for help, why don't you just show up and do something? So so I I had to suddenly realise that whilst my head knew and my head had identified what I needed, I hadn't actually allowed my body to actually work through that emotion, to let it out. And and when it came out, it came out in a torrent of just crying and crying and crying. And it was a real and it was really a real, real big lesson for me because it's those strong people that to the outside world we look like we've got our shit together. But deep down inside, we're usually the ones that are actually hurting the most and hurting the deepest because nobody is just intuitively picking up on the fact that we are hurting just as much as everyone else. So um, I've completely forgotten the original question. No, I think <laughs> you've, you've, you've answered that well. We talked about, like, how do, you, how do you see that actually facing the pain is actually is not, is not as bad as you think it's going to be. It's actually such a... A, well, sometimes it's euphoric, but it's a peaceful feeling to release that, and there's so and, much value in in that. And after now, I know where I was going with that story. Um, after I actually let that go and release that, my girlfriend said to me, "I'm about to go out shopping. Would you like to come with me? Would you like? We'll go and get a coffee. We'll go do some shopping and get your mind off everything." And I said, "You know what? I'd really appreciate that." So we then rang another girlfriend and we all went shopping and we had coffee and had I not had that outburst, had I not allowed those emotions out, my friends still to this day wouldn't know that that's what I needed and I'd probably feel resentful. And that's where I think a lot of resentment comes from is we don't know how to communicate. Just like I said, we're not taught in school how to have good um, money management skills and how to spend and save and, and grow our wealth. Same with relationships. We're not taught 
how to actually communicate effectively in relationships. We're not taught how to let go when relationships no longer serve um, our highest purpose. Um, so, you know, it was a really big lesson in going, wow, like I probably would have resented all of my friends for at least another six to 12 months because they weren't there for me when I felt I needed them most. But that one outburst of letting out my emotions and letting it known what I needed, all of my girlfriends started rallying around me because I had given them direction on what I needed. They always say people are not mind readers. Yeah. We actually need to communicate our needs to those that we love most. And, you know, I've got a friend who always says, you know, the most dangerous word you could hear come out of a woman's mouth is, I'm fine. Well, he said, fine means you're frustrated, insane, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> oh, wow. Only another woman could say that. <laughs> I don't know. I was a man. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not going anywhere near that. <laughs> he goes, whenever I hear a woman say that she's fine, I go on my guard because fine means frustrated, insane, neurotic, and emotional. And you stop and think. If you're a man out there, you stop and think. Whenever you've asked your partner, you know, are you okay? And she goes, I'm fine. Stop and think and listen to the tone underneath because usually when a woman says she's fine, it means she's not, but we're going to make you work and work out why we're not fine. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. I, I don't think it matters male or female because it depends actually on the subject matter, but we need to, to be clear on what we want, like clear on the outcomes. Too often I speak to people and they say, oh, they, they know what I mean because I did this, this, this and this. Like, do you think that they're really deliberately avoiding that? Like, try actually asking them directly about that and find out what reaction you get. But I think that's where it becomes the hardest part. But for whatever reason, it's probably tied to the, the vulnerability element you talked about before. People are afraid of making their needs clear. But this is really is the key. Like, yep. there are no bad kids, no bad children. They're just not having a need met. Well, there are no bad adults too, right? They're just not having a need met. And so there are certain people in the world who they've got like a more and more need for something and they've been taken so far away from it. I'm not talking about that sort of space, but for the people in our world who, who we're not getting the reaction we want, well, then it's about just thinking what, what is the need that they are looking for? What is it they wanting? What is it that they actually, and sometimes we have to ask. And so it's funny, your, your experience there, a close friend of ours, when we had our first child, bought food, no question, just did it. And it was like, that had such an impact on us at a time when we didn't have that time, that that's sort of our default. Like mm. if we go to give any assistance, it will be in that area because we know of the impact. But yeah. it's also what you also said is having been on both sides of that, having experienced loss, but also um, having other people in my world experience it, there's no right or wrong way. And I love what you said there about just being really clear on expectations because it actually depends on the circumstance. I, I remember, and you, I don't know how you went through it in a state where you weren't able to have that physical contact because I know the first two weeks, a lot of, you get a lot of outpouring of emotion when you lose someone. Then everyone goes back to their everyday life and that's the hardest part after that because it's like, well, now what do I do? That, that, a lot of that sort of support is gone. Where do I go now? 
But I guess then what you've also said is that if you're needing support and help, then there's, there's an element of having to, to just ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. I think that's a really important part is um, because I spent the first 10 days <clears throat> at my parents' house um, and, you know, like I, I, and I saw that, you know, mum's patchwork ladies had a roster going. There was a lady at 10 o'clock dropping off food every morning. And then my cousins were bringing over food of a night time because we're Italian. That's what we do. Um, I guess that expectation was transferred to when I got home, but I had to remember that I hadn't been here for the first 10 days. And like you said, that first sort of 10 to 14 days is when everyone rallies around a person. And then after that sort of life goes back to normal, everyone gets back to normal. But I also had one lady say to me, oh, Lisa, you know, I, I really wanted to come around and see you, but... I didn't even know what to say. Like I, and, and she was too scared of not knowing what to say in case it upset me when sometimes all you need to do is actually just show up and just hold that person's hand. And I was very fortunate, like even though I didn't have, you know, in COVID we weren't meant to be hugging, my youngest child is actually a touch love language, so he was just getting extra hugs. And he intuitively knew that I needed more hugs and I needed more kisses and, you know, we'd just lie in bed listening to music. Um, so, yeah, it was a real, it was a very interesting time to be going through the death of a family and, and even down to, you know, we were only allowed to have 10 people at the funeral. But once you took into account the pastor, like the priest and the, um, and the funeral director, you were only allowed eight people. And, 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 you know, so it was a really, coming from a big Italian family, where I remember my brother's, you know, my older brother's funeral, there was like a couple of hundred people there. So to suddenly have to narrow that down to eight people was really, really difficult. And, um, you know, we've decided that we're going to have a memorial um, for my brother um, so that all of his friends could can, can actually come and say goodbye. They really wanted to do a guard of honour, but, you know, unfortunately with COVID, it was probably one of the most difficult times to be going through um, through the death of a family. It's, it's never a, a nice time or a good time to go through the death of a loved one. Um, but anyone out there who's gone through it through COVID, you know, my heart goes out to you because it was a really difficult time. But I also, um, I probably actually talked to my, my brother um, in spirit probably more than I talked to him in, in person because we lived in different towns. Um, but, you know, I have just decided that, you know, his his memory will not be in vain because I'm now going to take all of those lessons that I learned um, and teach them on to other people. And that's what I love about my coaching uh, business in particular and, and why we're in the middle of um, rebranding as just lifestylists because what I recognised is I'm not just te teaching people and helping people with money. I'm teaching them about everything life-related and to give you just very quickly before we wrap up, an example of this is after I got off our call yesterday, Ian, I touched base with my marketing lady um, because, you know, we were planning, we're planning all this rebranding in the background and she's just like, I said, can we do a quick Zoom? And she's like, yeah, but I, I look terrible. And anyway, when I jumped on the Zoom. I said, oh, my God. I said, you look so tired. And she's told me about all of the sleep issues they're having. She's got three-year-old twins and wow. they're sleep training at the moment. 
and you know she's got one child because they're a boy and a girl one child the little boy he's doing really really well he's taken to sleep training like a duck to water but her daughter is is quite a defiant little thing she's very independent and um and she's being a little bit more difficult and she's like Oh, so I just don't know, you know, how to, how to do this and have you got any tips? Because, I mean, I raised my boys single-handedly from the time they were 19 months and three and because they're so close in age, um, you know, I've, I've been through all this. And here I am suddenly sleep coaching my marketing lady. <laughs> and and what I identified from, from the, you know, because Elle and I have a very, very um, more personal relationship as well as business relationship. And over the years, she's talked about Joan and I've sort of gotten to know Joan, uh, even though I've only just met her for the first time last week. I recognise her personality. And I recognise that she has this strong, independent little personality and she doesn't want help during the day. And something that Elle said, she said, you know, I almost feel like it's like she doesn't want your help during the day, but then suddenly at nighttime realises she does want you. So we then started talking about um, quality time and um, how the twins are always doing everything together. So how about we separate out, you know, she takes on Joan and her husband, uh, her fiancé takes on um, Harry, the little boy. And I asked her this morning, you know, how did sleep training go last night? And she goes, better. I feel like there's some light at the end of the tunnel. So here it is. I'm not even a sleep specialist. I actually know a baby sleep specialist down in Melbourne for anyone who needs one. But I found it very interesting that different life circumstances that you go through um, as a coach enable you to then actually draw upon to help people regardless of what their situation is. Um, and Ian, you know, you probably find this as well. Like, even though you know you're not a money coach, you can use similar strategies that you use in your business coaching to help those um, who have money-related issues, because we all know that those issues are probably related to something else. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. Well said. Um, I was just thinking about what you were talking about, children. Aren't, don't they all find that time that they need you right before bed, whether it's a drink of water or? And my favourite when you're on the phone. They could be happily playing for an hour, but the minute you get on the phone, suddenly that child needs you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, and that carries in. on the teenage. Yeah, might have walked into some video calls, so they're learning that lesson the hard way. <laughs> they now check to make sure they're not going to be live on some video. Um, fantastic. So, Lisa, I know you've got an event coming up, which which I'd love for you to share. So if anyone's interested in finding more about um, their own journey and specifically around money and manifestation, but like you said, your teaching and coaching offers so much more and it's often well, what is it the actually causing that? So, so what, what can you share about that event you've got coming up? Okay, so on the 3rd of August, we're going to be launching um, the five-day uh, makeover. So this is going to be a free program and it's really interesting. Um, I initially thought it was going to be a money makeover, but when I went and actually looked at the program, um, it's so much more than, than just money. And money is just one element that allows you to work towards that freedom. And it's when I was talking to my marketing lady this morning about it, we thought, thought about it and we thought, 
It's actually about building a stable base for deliberate choice. Um, this course will actually set, that set the foundation that will teach you how to enable you to have deliberate choice on what you choose to do with your money and your life. So the reason why financial freedom, I always talk about financial freedom, but financial freedom looks different on everyone because financial freedom is really just about I get to choose what I want to do and I get to choose how I want to spend my money. And, the, you know, the world just goes round with money, but, you know, you don't need a lot of money to have a good life and other people feel like they need millions of dollars to have a good life. So the, the, um, the five-day challenge will be about um, talking to you about, um, you know, awareness, mindset, uh, setting goals, um, God, I'm trying to think what the other ones, um, you know, tracking your progress and, uh, and how to watch your spending. So we do identify, um, you know, money leaks. Money leaks are a big one. Um, I always say that your money leaks are the things, it's like if you put, if I put my hands out like this, I'll put them up like that, and, you know, someone dropped a bucket of sand, um, you know, what, what would be held left in your hands? pretty much nothing because it all leaks through your fingers. So all that would be left is what's in the palm of your hand. But if you actually put your fingers together like this, you'll actually hold a lot more. So the foundational um, challenge that we're doing starting on the 3rd of August is all about those identifying where are those money leaks, how can you plug them up, you know, the, the mindset that goes with it. So, yeah, so if you're interested in um, joining us on our challenge, it is a free challenge. It'll be uh, me live every day for five days in the um, Facebook group. So I do believe that Ian is going to be popping the link in here um, after yep. this session. I will. And I hope to see you there. Awesome. Excited about that, Lisa. I might even jump in and have a look as well. Thank you so much for sharing so openly. I think there's so many valuable, not think, there's so many valuable lessons in there for people who have gone through similar challenges in loss, whether it's from losing a sibling or from a marriage or from the other elements that you discussed and how you've been able to go through that letting go process to, to open up so much more of your life. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much and thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. And thank you to everyone who's chimed in and listened today. You're welcome. See you, Lisa. Bye for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.